Well, welcome to another ABF online service. We are so happy that you're joining with us. So why don't you go ahead and stand up, stretch those arms out, and let's praise the Lord together. Another in the wall 
Well, thank you, worship team, and uh, good to be with you again online. And just wanted to, uh, just before we continue in getting into God's Word, just wanted to touch on a few things happening in the church. Uh, first, as always, if you're uh, looking for any kind of prayer res- support, any way that we can come alongside of you, you can always text us anytime during the week at 97,000, and we get a chance to go through those and join you in praying for whatever is going on in your life. That would be a, a wonderful way that you can lean into the church. And then uh, also just knowing that the website is a great resource if you're considering other ways to get involved or to be connected. Man, we try to keep everything up to date, uh, highlighting the different uh, upcoming events. And so always feel the freedom to lean into that as well. I want to remind you just uh, how the ministries of this church are dependent on just continued faithful support, and we're grateful for that uh, as a church family, and you can give online or on our church app or two options, Uh, otherwise mailing checks to the church would be uh, fantastic. I wanted to, just as we're getting closer to uh, Easter, just keep you informed on some of the happenings with Easter. Uh, First is once a year we have this really fun family event, just tons of people on our campus for what's called our extravaganza, and that's happening on the 9th, Saturday the 9th at 9.30, and I wanted to just pass on the invitation, perfect thing to invite friends and family members to, uh, just a, a, a perfect just outdoor activity. So that's happening on the Saturday the 9th, and then the following uh, Friday, Good Friday, uh, we just have one Good Friday service planned, and that's at 7 p.m., and we really have a, a powerful evening planned for that, and so really, uh, out, out of the year, that's probably one of my favorite services, and so in encourage you uh, to join us for that. And then for Easter Sunday, as usual, that's the ideal time uh, for the church to connect, to celebrate uh, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That We actually uh, don't have our normal service times, not the normal 9 and 1045, but instead three services, one at 8, one at 930, and one at 11 o'clock. And so would love for you to choose one of those to participate in. For some of us that have maybe been on the sidelines for a while, this is the perfect time uh, to re-engage as we know the, the risk of COVID has been reduced and there's uh, the, the, the more uh, recent variants are a little less of a, a risk. Uh, we would love to see families and individuals coming back to church and reestablishing that as a habit and routine in their life. Well, before uh, Chris comes up and has a chance to dive into God's Word, into Hebrews, let me just take a moment and pray uh, for our time. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for this uh, chance to gather online, and I know that might sound weird. I love that we're in a day and age where that's possible. We're thankful for the ability to broadcast just a chance to worship, a chance to uh, explore a section of Scripture, and uh, God, I I do ask that you'd be uh, moving and working in this time, that you'd meet people exactly uh, where they're at. We're so thankful for your faithfulness uh, to us, even during this uh, crazy last couple years, God. You've been uh, strong, and it's evident in so many different ways, God. We just commit now the remainder of our time in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Man, so great to be with you. Uh, for those who do not know who I am, you're like, who is this guy? Uh, my name is Chris Kerner, and uh, I oversee the high school and junior high ministries here at ABF. And it'll be nine years already this May. It has been a crazy, uh, fun uh, ride. So uh, hopefully I got nine more years uh, left in me, or 10. Uh, so 
Uh, well, thank you again uh, for joining us. And uh, I said that I work with students, and which means that I am on social media, uh, my fair share. And uh, actually, social media is fun. It can be fun. And uh, one of my favorite things is Facebook. Now, that might date me, but uh, the reason why I love Facebook is because, I don't know if you have uh, a Facebook account, but sometimes, depending, usually every day, uh, I have those fun memories that pop up. Those memories where you click on it, it's like pictures of like your kids from nine years ago or pictures that you've updated that you're like, oh my goodness, I forgot I took those pictures and, and memories that pop up. Sometimes there's like posts that you see that you're like, oh my goodness, I cannot believe I said that. That is cringe. I uh, wish I could delete it. Uh, but uh, a few days ago, uh, I had a wonderful memory that popped up. And uh, this time, it wasn't a, an embarrassing picture of my kids, so they were relieved. But it was one of the Europe trips that my wife, Christine, and I uh, were on. And uh, it was when we were in Paris uh, about five years ago. And uh, if you've traveled with me ever, I, I'm the guy that is, likes to do everything in one day. Like, we might be there for three days, but I'm constantly on the go, uh, walk, 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 CCC. And on this specific day, uh, we were at the Palace of Versailles all day in Paris. And we were on the train back, we were getting a uh, cappuccino and we were getting some food. And I realized that the Louvre uh, was open, like, like special on that night for uh, an extended uh, late night, like until like 11 o'clock. And I said, you know what we should do? Even though we're tired, we should go there to the Louvre. And Christina, who is just amazing, she's like, yeah, sure, let's go do that. Because I've always wanted to see the Mona Lisa. Like, even when I was in elementary, there was something about the Mona Lisa. Like, there's something about that, the greatest painting ever that I always wanted to see. So we get to the Louvre, and there's like no lines to even get into the Louvre. And then we're, we're kind of going through all the rooms, and, and we're seeing all these amazing paintings. We're like, yeah, 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 Where, where's the Mona Lisa? And we get down to this big room, and we see that there's really like not much of a line to get to see the Mona Lisa. But what is crazy is that when I get close to it, there's like this barrier that is in front of me. There's like this barrier, and not just a barrier where it stops me from getting close to the Mona Lisa. In front of the Mona Lisa, the painting, there's actually a glass like wall. So you're actually seeing the Mona Lisa. Uh, I have a picture, you're seeing it. Uh, there's like, I'm about 15 feet away. And yes, I was a little starstruck when I saw the Mona Lisa. I think you can get starstruck seeing works of art. I don't know, maybe, maybe I'm just weird. But in that picture, I'm actually about 15 feet away. There's a barrier that I'm not allowed to cross, okay? And there's the glass in front of the Mona Lisa. And I was thinking, man, there's like, it kind of loses like the presence of the Mona Lisa. Like it's still the Mona Lisa, but like you're not fully grasping it. You're not, you're not fully getting that full like connection with that, that painting. And I was thinking, man, it wasn't always that way. There was a time when it was free to be seen the way the painter, the way the creator wanted it to be. And as I was thinking, man, that's how it is as we're studying through Hebrews with the old covenants. We've been in this series in the book of Hebrews greater than the author is writing to the Hebrews that the barriers are now gone, that we can access an almighty God outside the tabernacle. There's no more disconnection. There's no more sending in the high priest with bells to, be sacri uh, to sacrifice for our sins. The barrier is gone. And today, 
We are in Hebrews 9, and we're going to see that. We're going to see that because Jesus is set apart due to his holiness. It, it, it means that we are set free from our sins, that the connection is restored with an almighty God. The old ways are done. The tabernacle is done serving its purpose. No more sacrifices. The barriers, the separation has been taken away. The, uh, the, how God intended a relationship with us. How he intended it is now restored. The connection and access to our Lord is renewed the way it was always intended to be. So before we get into Hebrews 9, let me pray for us. Well, Father God, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for the study in Hebrews, Lord, and we are so thankful that your word speaks to us in many, many ways. Lord, we pray, Lord, uh, just in our time, Lord, that uh, I step out of the way and and that you use me, Lord, and that uh, your word screams to us, Lord, that our eyes would be open and our ears would hear the things that you want to see here, Lord. Uh, we're so thankful for this church, Lord. We thank you for the people that are watching this service right now, Lord. And we just pray that you bless our time, Lord. And we love you. It's your name we pray. Amen. Okay, so we are in Hebrews 9 verses 11 through 22, and we've said it every week. We'll probably continue to say it. As, you've, as you know, uh, this book is dense. The chapters are dense. Hebrews is very dense. Uh, we know that, and even this morning, uh, we're only looking at 11 verses, 11 verses, but there are so many layers. I could speak on this section alone for a few different messages, but I'm not going to do that. So I'm going to do my best over the the next uh, few minutes to uh, kind of dig in a little deeper into what I felt like the Lord was wanting me to share with you in this section. So here we go. Verse 11, chapter 9 of Hebrews, verse 11. We start with this. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. So verse 11, we see right here that Jesus is the high priest. We've heard that. We've studied that in our study in Hebrews. We see that the author states that Jesus is greater than everything and everyone, that Jesus is greater than all priests, the high priest, Jesus is greater than all prophets. He is greater than all the angels. He's greater than the Ten Commandments. Jesus is greater than religion. Religion. He's greater than Melchizedek. He is the ultimate priest king because he is flawless. He's eternal. He's the son of God. He is God. And he was there in creation. And if Jesus wasn't the flawless, sinless, and holy Messiah that was prophesied hundreds of years before he came, if he didn't fulfill all 300 plus prophecies perfectly, he couldn't be the ultimate high priest. He couldn't be our savior that was needed. He couldn't fully redeem us. That last sacrifice wouldn't have worked for our sins. One of the amazing prophecies that was fulfilled is in Jeremiah 31, verses 31 through 33. 
says this, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them, to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Again, this prophecy was written hundreds of years before Jesus was even born. And it was fulfilled in Matthew 26, 28. Jesus says, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And we see in verse 11, it also states that the author is saying that there's a, there's a greater and more perfect tent, this, the, the, these holy places. And if you were listening last week, Pastor Scott did an amazing job kind of breaking down the history of the tabernacle. The fact that the tabernacle was made, yes, with human hands, but it had chapters and chapters of detailed instructions of how to be built and the way it was to be used. Detailed instructions from God. Because God's presence was in the tabernacle. Sacrifices were needed for the high priest to enter into the Holy of Holies. And that was the Old Testament. That is the Old Covenant tabernacle. But the author isn't talking about the tabernacle, the Old Covenant. That's not where Christ is now. When Jesus was crucified and resurrected, there was no need for the tabernacle. The New Covenant was established. It says uh, the tent not made with hands. And you might ask, okay, what is this tent? Where is this tent? This greater and more perfect tent where Christ is? And the simple answer is it, it's heaven. It's heaven. A couple of weeks ago, we looked at Hebrews 8. And it says that the new tent, that Jesus is seated, seated at the right hand of God. The right hand of God. That is the new holy of holies. Jesus is seating, sitting right at the right hand of God. A perfect, just, and holy, almighty God. Holy and set apart, separate. And our Lord is equally holy and powerful. And I want to focus on that word holy just for a minute, because we've, we've talked about it a little, but I don't think we fully grasp or, or we don't completely understand just how holy God is, what that actually means. Because it's so important to understand why we needed Jesus to come to die for us. You see, God is like a big fire. God is like a big fire. We, we live in California. We, we know how powerful a fire can be and, and that anything put in front of a fire will completely burn up, will completely be consumed. And God's presence, God is, God is like a massive fire. And, and we, we're like these little, these little twigs, these, these little weak, dry twigs. And we cannot exist in his presence. What happens? I mean, maybe you, you've gone camping and, and, and you build a little fire and, and it gets going and it gets strong and, and you take those little sticks and, and you kind of throw it in there. If, if you don't, you know what happens is that the twigs just burn up instantly. 
We cannot exist in his presence. Sometimes we forget how holy God is and how powerful he is. Maybe you can finish this verse in Psalm 9, 10. You can do it as you're sitting here. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is in sight. In Psalms it says the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord. And sometimes I fear that we are too casual with God. Yeah, like he's our buddy. Hey, Jesus is my, my friend, my buddy. He's Jesus with, with the little lamb, smiling. And, and don't get me wrong, Jesus is, is holy and he's majestic and he is merciful and graceful and he is our loving father. But do not forget who our God is. He created the universe by speaking. He makes the earth move and shake. There was a reason why the Holy of Holies was a dangerous place to enter. We see in Scripture some, some examples of peoples in God's uh, presence. Uh, in Exodus, we see that, that there's a moment where Moses is on the mountain. He says, God, I want to see all your glory. I want to see it all. And God says, you can't because you'll die. But God being a generous God says, okay, Moses, this is what we're going to do. You're going to go into this cleft of a rock. You're going to look away. You're going to close your eyes. And, and when I say open, after I pass by, you can see the aftermath of my presence. And you know when he, Moses comes down the mountain, like his skin has changed. His face has shown like everything has changed about him. And we see in Isaiah, a prophet, he has a vision of the Lord, and he sees this vision of the Lord, and he just says, woe is me. I am not, like, worthy to see you. And we see John, who was Jesus' earthly best friend. He's on the island of Patmos. He's about to write some Bible. The Lord is going to give him a vision of what's to come so he can write Revelations. And the vision of the Lord appears. And this is just a vision of the Lord. And John falls down and says, I, man, as though I, I am dead, I am falling down. We cannot exist in his presence. Not without Jesus, who is holy and sits right with the Father. What a holy God and a holy Lord that we serve. And in that section, I told you it's dense. Uh, we got a lot to unpack, but in verse 12, it talks about eternal redemption. And that's just forgiveness of the sins of your past, your present, and your future. A one-time acceptance of Jesus, surrendering your life to Jesus, making him the Lord of your life. One time, all sins are forgiven. No more sacrifices. What great news. What great news because we're so sinful. Moving on to the next section, Hebrews 9, verse 13. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works 
to serve the living God. In section two, my point here is only by his blood, only by his blood we are set free. As we know now, the old covenant meant a sacrificial system, the ongoing sacrificing of animals, the ritual of sacrificing for our ongoing sins, our sins that we do every single day. And the blood from animals were only interest payments. Again, a few weeks ago, uh, Pastor Scott had a, a fantastic analogy talking about uh, the guy who always, I think it was his father, his, his dad, who always fixed things with duct tape. And, and I like using duct tape, but if you use duct tape, you know that it's only temporary. It only holds it. It's only, it's only a placeholder until there's a need again. And these animal sacrifices were just duct tape. But Jesus, being the perfect, holy, sinless lamb, gave us permanent redemption through his blood. That's why we sing that beautiful song, nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. I'm a terrible singer. But what a deep and meaningful song. It's so true. Jesus' blood secures eternal redemption. And I'm really sorry that I had to sing that little bit of a song, but I think you get the point. Don't ever go back and hear that. It's horrible. Beautiful words, beautiful song, deep meaning. And in this section, in verse 14, it the author talks about these dead works, these dead works, and we're just going to talk about this for, for a few seconds, for a few moments. Uh, the dead works, the, these are any attempts that we try to do to earn God's favor, to be made right with him on our own attempt. And we can never do enough good things to take away our sin. Even if we only sin once, even sinning once creates separation from us and an almighty, holy God. We can't even come before God with even one sin. But we've sinned more than just once. I know at least I have. We don't even understand how sinful we actually are. We sin every day. We were, we were born into a sinful and fractured world. Honestly, there's nothing we can do about that, but every single one of us has failed in our own moral compass. We can't necessarily just blame Adam and Eve for that one because we add to it every single day. Myself and all of us. Because our sin is so dark, so frequent, so, so far away from the holiness of God, perfect holy blood was the only way to redeem us. The blood of a holy Lord and without it, death is punishment. We deserve death for our sin. The wrath of God would be put over us. Paul states in Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul states, man, we deserve death. We have sinned every single day we mess up. That creates a separation from us and an almighty, holy, powerful God. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. 
Again, looking at the prophecies, right? Jesus uh, fulfilled over 300 of them in Isaiah 53, which is the most like well-known uh, messianic prophecy. Actually, in our series in, uh, in Isaiah during Christmas time, I spoke on Isaiah 53. Um, you can go back and watch that for further study. I don't sing in that one, I promise. But it gives a brief description of the last few hours of Jesus, that he was marred, that his face was 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 destroyed, that he was bleeding from all over the place. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. That his blood was just poured out. That he was sacrificed as a criminal, even though he did nothing wrong. That's why we do communion. That's why we that's why we take the cup. That's why we eat the bread. Remembering the price he paid, all for eternal redemption, for all of our sins. Amazing. Moving on to Hebrews 9, 15, verse 15. You still with me? Hopefully you are. You can go ahead and just, whoo, you know, shake it out a little bit, open up your mouth and yawn and and wake up a little bit. Uh, We're going to get there, I promise. Verse 15, the author continues on. He says, therefore... He is the mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. I like an inheritance. The promised eternal inheritance. Since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. For where a will is involved, the death of the one who made it must be established. For a will takes effect only at death since it is not in force as long as the one who made it is alive. All right, so this section, a lot of legal speak here. And uh, I'm not a lawyer, and uh, my wife is, though. And uh, she often now, uh, during the last couple of years, there's been a lot of uh, depositions at our house, a lot of mediations at our house. And uh, when I eavesdrop, I mean, when I overhear uh, what uh, they're doing, uh, it's interesting when you kind of learn the process. In this section, we see that Jesus is our mediator. And the way it works in the legal world is that, for instance, with Christina's firm, you have have the plaintiff, and then you have the company. She works in employment uh, law, and the plaintiff is like, hey, I, I want this, and I deserve this, and this, and this, and this. And then you have the company that says, no, they deserve this. They deserve to be terminated. They deserve to be fired. We did no wrong, and so on, and so on, and so on. And the mediator comes in and negotiates on their behalf. Comes between the two parties. Negotiates, negotiates on their behalf. And we see here that Jesus became the mediator for us. He took the punishment the death for us to be made sanctified. We know that the wages of sin is death, right? We should, be, uh, we should die for what we've done, but he became the mediator and took the death. He became the mediator, took the punishment so that we can be made sanctified in God's holy presence by taking the sins of everyone from past to the future. He's the ultimate high priest And Jesus had one last day of atonement when he sacrificed himself. The truth is that we are sinners. We've established that, and we deserve death. 
And God is a holy and perfect judge. And we deserve death. But Jesus being the mediator came and mediated and stepped in for us. In verse 15 it says, those who are called, and you might be like, okay, well, who are those that are called? And, and it's great news, it's, it's us. It's me, it's you. He calls us to be set free. Jesus said in John 10, verse 27, 28, Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice. Anybody who hears the shepherd and believes is in this group that is called. Knowing a voice is a very intimate thing. Knowing a voice is very intimate. It shows a, an intimate, close relationship. One of my favorite, favorite sounds in the whole world is after I've worked a long day throwing junior hires across a field, throwing dodgeballs as fast as I humanly can at high schoolers, coming home and opening the front door and saying, I'm home, and then hearing a cute little tiny voice of my almost two-year-old Kennedy saying, Dada, Dada. And then I look up the stairs and she's smiling really big because she hears my voice. She knows my voice. I can say one word and she knows that her dad is home. I can say one sentence and she comes running into the other room. She knows my voice. And I wonder, do you hear his voice? Do you hear the shepherd's voice? If not, how do you hear his voice? How do you hear it? Well, it's simple, again. By daily growing through his word, by walking in relationship with him, by making him the Lord of your life, through worship, through reading his word, through community, through, through being here on Sunday mornings, being with brothers and sisters in Christ. I tell students all the time that God's voice, yes, powerful enough to speak existence, uh, to speak uh, creation to existence and create the universe and all the planets, but yet so often his voice is so soft in our lives because we have other voices that are louder that we listen to because there's so many other distractions that take priority. But when you take God's voice, when you take the Lord and put him in the center and everything else is around him, his voice becomes louder and it becomes clear. Do not resist that voice. Do not resist the call from the shepherd. Verse 16, I know we're still in this section. Verse 16, it talks about a will. We know that we are his. He wants us to be set free. But when there is a will, the heirs receive the inheritance. And that's good news. Like, who doesn't like inheritance? The good news is that there's an inheritance, and, and we, us, being called by the shepherd, we are the heirs. The inheritance, it's not Bitcoin, it's not, it's not crypto and, and, and billions of dollars, it's, it's better. It's forgiveness and eternity with him, with Christ, forever. 
that's our inheritance when we put him, the Lord of our lives. <laughs> and for our will to be processed, for our will to be released, in order for us to get that inheritance, three things had to have happened, which is what the author is stating. First, there are three parties that are involved. There must be an executor of the will. There must be an executor of the will, the one that's in charge of the will, the one that's in charge of releasing the things at the right time when it is the appropriate time. The second person is the heir. We've already established that the heir in the will who will get the inheritance is you and I. And the third person is the one that wrote the will, the one that passes. And there is no execution of the will unless that person dies. I like how John MacArthur puts it. He says, death activates the promises into realities. That death activates the promises into realities. The will and testament of the Lord Jesus was completed like this. The one that must die was Jesus. The one that wrote the will was Jesus. He's also the executor of the will. And you might ask, well, well how can uh, the person who passes put forth into motion the releasing of the inheritance? Well, we forget who our God is. Because Jesus died, the will now needs to be executed, but he rose and became the executor and released the inheritance to us, to you and me, the children. And we get that amazing inheritance. Moving into this last section, we're almost there. I said we'd be almost there. Uh, verse 18, Therefore, not even the first covenant was inaugurated without blood. For when every commandment of the law had been declared by Moses to all the people, he took the blood of calves and goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the covenant that God commanded for you. And in the same way, he sprinkled the blood, both the tents and all the vessels used in worship. Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. There is no forgiveness of sins. The author reminds us that blood must be shed. Someone must die. Moses, it says that Moses took the animals and sprinkled blood to establish the old covenants. Jesus ended the old covenant and had his blood sprinkled to establish the new covenant. And that Jesus came to make it possible for you and me, for us. He became our mediator. And, and we hear this and we understand a little bit. We just don't understand fully how amazing God's grace is. We don't understand fully how amazing God's grace is because we've never had to be a part of this old covenant ritualistic part of this Jewish tradition where ongoing sacrifices had to be made for our sins. Sometimes our sins become too casual and we don't remember them. But there's hope. Remember who took the first step in this will, who wrote this will and wrote the inheritance. Who made the first step? Jesus died for his enemies. He took the first step in Romans 5, verse 6. 
Paul states, for while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. He loved us before we loved him. The grace that the Lord has is endless and unimaginable. Again, verse 22, indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. But due to the shedding of Jesus' blood, there is forgiveness of sins, a redemption, us being rescued and receiving that inheritance for, into an eternity. This is great news. The barrier is gone. The connection is restored. We have access again to a holy God that loves us deeply, our Father in heaven. And you might hear this, and now you might be, okay, well, now what? What do you do with that? Well, the choice is ours. It's always been ours. It's been ours since the beginning. Do you take him? Do you you make him the Lord of your life and prioritize everything else around him? And you follow him, and you listen to him, and you hear his voice? Or do you take this access that you have and you just put it in your back pocket for emergencies only? I want to close with a, an analogy that uh, I took from another pastor because I'm not that creative. Uh, and it's about Hawaii, and I love Hawaii. And I've uh, been in Hawaii, uh, got married there. Uh, but I love this analogy because I think it's so fitting with what we've talked about here. So imagine... Hawaii is heaven. And imagine we all want to get there. We all want to get there, but we don't know how far it is. We we don't know where it is. But we're going to swim there. Now, there's many of us with different levels of swimming. Like, right? Can we just be honest with that, right? Some of us might start swimming and we won't make it past the white water. Just being real. Like, we just, some of you won't. Like, I will be fine, but you guys won't. And then some of us will actually get past the white water, and then we'll get past the big waves, and then we'll kind of just be there treading water, and then before we know it, then we will be finished. And then there's a few of you that they're actually are really good at swimming, and maybe you're, you're like a Rod Stewart, and you're just going to make it to Catalina, like 22 miles outside California. But eventually, you're going to get tired as well. It doesn't matter how much you've trained, how many gold medals you have, how many championships, how genetically you've been wired to swim, you're not going to make it to Hawaii by yourself. But it shows us how amazing God's grace is because we don't have to get there by ourselves. Imagine a boat is going by multiple times. The boat's in the white water, picking people up, accepting the boat, the ride to Hawaii. The boat is in the waves. He's in Catalina. I don't know where you are in your swim to Hawaii, but we were never meant to do it alone. That's amazing. That's how amazing God's grace is. 
That's why anyone at any time can be saved. Man, I hope you hear his voice. And I hope you get into that boat. Let me pray. Well, Father, we thank you so much um, for these 11 verses, Lord. So deep. But more importantly, Lord, we thank you so much for what you did on that cross, Lord, to come down and be the ultimate high priest, to ultimately die, sacrifice yourself, to have your holy and perfect blood be spilled for us so we can have eternal redemption. We're so not worthy of you. We love you so much. We pray, Lord, that you go before us the rest of our week, Lord. We pray, Lord, that we put you at the center of our lives and everything's focused on you, Lord. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy, Lord. And we love you. It's your name we pray. Amen. Oh
Well, it's been so fun spending uh, a few moments with you diving into God's Word. Uh, we hope and pray that you have an amazing week ahead of you. And if there's anything, anything at all that we can uh, help you with or uh, be a blessing to you, uh, please reach out to us. And uh, we hope that you uh, hear His voice and get into that boat.